Good morning. Welcome to Faith Presbyterian Church. It's good to see you folks. It's uh, and some of you don't wear mask, aren't wearing masks. So I, that's exciting to me because I always am troubled when there's all these pretty girls and I can't see their whole face. So although it's not reciprocal, some ladies we wish you'd wear a mask. And uh, so um, so anyway, I'm I'm uh, glad. Uh, to be here and glad y'all are here. Uh, let's uh, have our call to worship responsively. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise God, Praise God for His acts of power. Praise God for His surpassing greatness. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory and honor be unto His name. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you and we thank you for your great grace and mercy and love in our lives. We thank you that you are a just God and that even in Scripture you tell us that you will in no way clear the guilty, but you have been gracious to us. You tell us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And so even now we confess the things that we've done that have been outright rebellion against you, where we thought we knew better or we sought comfort in some place or something or someone other than you. And um, we blatantly disobeyed and we confess that now. Lord, and there have been things that we failed to do. It would have been the right thing to do. And perhaps because of laziness, because of comfort, because of naivete, uh, we have failed to do those things that were right and good in your eyes. And it has hurt us. It has hurt others. Yet you remain faithful and you have forgiven us. And we thank you for that. And so we pray that even now you would continue to do a work of grace in our hearts and lives and draw us to yourself, that you would take our minds that are going a thousand miles per hour right now and keep us from worrying about this afternoon or about tomorrow and draw us to yourself. We thank you even now that you hear our prayers. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Our first hymn is number 68, Holy, Holy, Holy. Stand if you're able. I'll step away from the mic.
Let's confess our faith together with the church of all ages using the Apostles' Creed. It's, it's printed there in your bulletin. So, saints, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hey, let's take a second and greet folks around you using the wave offering of peace. Hey, the uh, announcements are on the back page of the bulletin. We're putting together the Holiday Almanac, and if you've got stories, recipes, uh, all that kind of stuff that makes uh, holidays special in your family, uh, send them in. And um, then church office will be closed uh, tomorrow on Labor Day. And then... Um, a little note here from the Ed Knox family uh, of thank you and then our condolences to Bob Derby on the death of his wife, Ronnell, on Tuesday, September the 1st. And uh, don't have all the specifics on a service for her yet, but it'll be announced later on. And uh, uh, when they uh, set the date, which will be later on this month. Then there is an offering plate back in the corner. And um, I was told that, you know, if you, when you walk by, just take a dollar out. And when you walk by, just hold on to that real tight and give us everything else. Uh, I know it's not really, you never know if offering jokes will work. But, they, you know, that wasn't bad. If I did it the next hour, it would be funnier because people will be more awake. But uh, I'm not in that service. So we'll just have to live with this. So... Um, We've got a solo. Oh, there you are.
Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can enter your presence. We thank you that you are a great God, that you hear everything we bring before you and even know it in advance. But it is so good for us to come to you to continue to uh, strengthen the relationship on our end, even though we know that there's nothing that we can do that will cause you to love us even more than you do right now because you love us so fully. And we pray today that as you minister to us, that as you draw us closer and closer to you, that we will delight in your love for us, that we'll trust you even more in the times that are so difficult that uh, uh, in which we experience even now, and who knows what the future is going to hold, but we can delight knowing that you are the one who is in charge and that nothing has kept as uh, surprised you. And so, Lord, we continue to pray today for those who hurt, for those who are battling illnesses of one thing or another, for those people who are grappling with the, the loss of a loved one, who are struggling with uh, employment, who uh, any number of things that are going on in our, our lives, Lord, would you meet us right where we are? Would you minister to us right where we heard through your word and through your Holy Spirit? so that we, we do delight in you, so that we do trust you even more, so that we move into life with a greater sense of confidence, knowing that we are loved by the creator of the universe with an everlasting love. We thank you for those things. And Lord, we pray this morning the prayer that your son Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Scripture this morning is in uh, Psalm 33. It is, it's not a psalm written by David. We don't know exactly who the author is, but it's a psalm that for the nation uh, and individuals as well. So hear the word of the Lord. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting that the, uh, for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the heavens of all, who considers everything they do, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know about you, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> Things have been so crazy of late, and um, you you know I feel like man I just you know I need some hope I need uh, need to know more and more about uh, God's love and uh, so I wanted to uh, look at this passage because I found it to be a very very hopeful passage. Um, <clears throat> some of y'all you know you've asked uh, about. Uh, me and and uh, I've been gone a bunch, and uh, I was in Mexico for uh, uh, almost three weeks uh, back uh, 
in the, in the middle of all this COVID stuff, dodging the virus down there in Mexico. And, uh, you know, I've started this ministry called Great Commission Coaching and uh, this sense that God has really called me to move down there. So I'm in the process of doing that and uh, gathering uh, support for that. And uh, one of the things that's going to happen, and I've uh, this has been on my heart for a long, long time, 20 years or so, there has never been a Protestant church that reached what I would call the business class or middle and upper middle class in Cancun. And it is growing. 50 years ago, Cancun did not exist. And now it's a city, almost a million people. So you can imagine, you know, something larger than Memphis that has grown that much in population in 50 years. So it's everything is stressed there. And uh, I'm, I'm working with some pastors, and we hope to start a movement of church planters that can uh, plant, you know, multiple churches every year in that area to reach that population for Christ. And the only way that we can do that, I, that makes sense to me anyway, is to get a church that would um, be large enough and reach the more affluent population to where it would be self-sustaining. You either have to do that or you're going to have to get money from outside to plant churches and it needs to be something that is self-sustaining. And, and uh, so that's what I hope to do and start a church in the downtown part of Cancun with a pastor friend of mine, Samuel Mai. And my job is to start a church or a worship service for English-speaking expatriates. And there are 10,000 of them in Cancun, and there is not one single church that's Protestant that has a worship service where they do it in English. So that's a, that's a pretty ripe field, and that's what we hope to do. And, uh, uh, you know, the great theologian Mike Tyson says, uh, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face. So uh, who knows what that uh, hit will be, but... Uh, uh, also know that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in, in vain that build it. So I want to just uh, let you know that's what's going on. If if you get email from me, you know that's uh, what's going on. If you don't get email from me and and you really don't love God, then uh, uh, you can you can repent and give me your email address, and I'll send you. You'll be you have to be dead for three years to get off the list, but uh, I'll put you on it and. Uh, keep you posted on all the things. I don't know exactly when I'm leaving to go there uh, for uh, an extended period of time, but um, it all kind of just boils down to raising the support. So that's uh, that's where we are now. Let's look at the scripture because it, it gives me so much hope and, and I need that as a uh, uh, I don't know if, you know, you, you hear, depending on which channel you watch, you get mixed reviews on where we are with the COVID virus. And it's a very tumultuous time. Some of y'all are probably tired from out rioting last night. So uh, uh, we have to focus on, uh, on God's word today. That was a joke, you understand. That. Uh, <clears throat> but one of the things that no matter, you know, if you, if you battle with despair at all, when you draw close to the Lord, it lifts your heart because you know that he is in charge, that you know that he loves you and, and you get great encouragement from his word. And you know that one day, you know, things are going to be all right. We're going to be OK. 
not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And so this, uh, this Psalm 33 uh, it praises the attributes of God, particularly His unfailing love. Now, this first three verses is kind of a call to worship. And I, I think there's about six imperatives here in you know, these Hebrew verbs that he, God is telling us, do this and worship. Now, it doesn't sound very Presbyterian. The first one is sing joyfully. Well, we can do that. We, we kind of just did that. I, I didn't sing very well, but it was joyful. And the next thing it says that we're to praise him. It's fitting for the upright to praise him. We're to make music. I don't understand why there are some traditions that do not like instrumentation in their worship uh, because it says we're to make music and we're to do it uh, you know, with the harp. We're to do it on the 10-stringed lyre. Those are principles. Those are just ideas. Uh, and that uh, we're to play skillfully and to shout for joy. That's why, you know, somebody asked me one time, you know, how are you feeling? I said, you know, I'm feeling good enough to you know, make a Presbyterian shout. And we just don't shout very much. And, I, and it tells us that, you know, that we're to use instrumentation in our worship. Uh, and I, I kind of have a theory about uh, this is kind of how it works with teenagers and children as well is Teenagers tend to define where a family goes to church. And I'm not saying this is the way it ought to be, but this is the way it is. Music trumps preaching. Um, if your music is bad, you're not going to get teenagers in church. And if you don't offer an alternative for teenagers musically, then they're going to go and pursue secular music. And let's face it, the greatest songs ever written, outside of maybe some of the Beatles songs, uh, are, uh, are Christian songs. You know, the greatest works of music are Christian. And so um, we need to have new songs. We need to sing songs occasionally that are written by someone who is still alive. And I, I don't know if you've been in churches where, you know, you had to be dead for 100 years before they'll sing a, song, a hymn that was written uh, for you. And, uh, you know, Monty Python's got a, a great song called Decomposing Composers. And listen to it on YouTube sometime. But uh, we don't want to have that in the church. It's good to remember the old great songs and um, and even to remember that a lot of the old hymns were secular were secular tunes that uh, Charles Wesley and some of those other guys rewrote the words to, like "And Can It Be" was a the the tune was a, a, a kind of a song that they sang in the pubs in England, you know, just go drink a beer and sing as, and can it be? And so uh, that's not so bad. But three really important qualities of worship that are here in these first three verses. One, there has to be freshness. You can't have stale worship and have it be genuine. It's got to be moving in our heart. And then it has to, uh, the, the people leading, particularly in the music, We'll give the preacher here a, a, a little slack. Uh, it has to have skill. You see that throughout Scripture. And then there has to be fervor. 
there has to be some passion about it so it's moved our hearts. Now, the next chunk of verses, really 4 through 19, are the body of this, uh, of this psalm. And uh, it tells us more and more about who God is. There's six qualities of God right off in these first uh, few verses in this section. One, it tells us that uh, the word of the Lord is right and true. He's faithful in all he does. So righteousness and truth are a description of God's word. Today, I mean, in the next 60 days, we are going to hear stuff that is going to be so contrasting and, and we will wonder what is true. We won't necessarily know. Now, our intuition and our wisdom will tell us some things that we, you know, I believe this because of history or whatever, because of what I've heard in the past and seen how it's worked out. But God's word is righteous and true. We may need to think about it. We may need to meditate upon it, but it's righteous and true. It, it, there's no hint of falsehood in it. People may take uh, exception to the way things are said, but if you apply common sense hermeneutics, you know, common sense biblical uh, principles of interpretation, you figure things out. You learn figures of speech. Um, we know even from this psalm you know, that God doesn't have a jar in which he puts the ocean. That, that's a figure of speech. It's just Hebrew poetry. It is to be taken literally, but literally it's poetry. It's figurative language. Next thing we see is you know, not only righteousness and truth, but faithfulness, righteousness, justice, and unfailing love describes the actions of God. We've got his word, you know, what he says, and actions, what he does, which are the you know the application, and they are uh, <laughs> Just because I went to seminary, I've learned a big word or two. These are concomitant. These are all at work in fullness, all at the same time. God is all these at once. That's different than you and me. They are always go together. We're different. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes we say one thing and we do another. You all heard it said, you know, uh, do, do what I say, not what I do. I think we've seen an example of that recently. And um, we're different. God is righteous and true, and we can trust his word. And so when it looks like you don't have something to hang on to, when it looks like you're looking for hope, you're you're. Uh, conflicted about life. It's going to be in his word where you're going to find an anchor, a rock, a foundation. Big things about his word and his actions are his work in creation and his work in providence. You understand when God uh, created the world, he spoke the world into existence. I'm very much uh, a creationist. I think God said, let there be light, and there was light. And that everything that God said in six days happened in that time frame. Now, I know there's, you know, a day could be a period of time. Like, you know, well, back in my day, 
And that's a fair use of that word, but it could also mean just a 24-hour period. And I don't think it really matters an awful whole lot, but uh, that's the, that is an issue with some people. But the bigger idea is that God spoke a creation. There was nothing except God. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He formed the heavens. He formed the earth. He formed the oceans. And I think he made the world with the appearance of antiquity so that it looks older than it is, which solves about a million questions if you grapple with evolution. And why couldn't God do that? Because he's God. He can do anything he wants to do. Tells us in this psalm, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. You understand? We cannot even see with our greatest telescopes the end of God's creation. And with our most powerful microscope, we can't even see the smallest particle of his creation. That is incredible to me. I want a God who is that incomprehensible. I want a God that I cannot fully know and fully understand because that would be a sad day if I was as smart as God or smarter than. It'd be sad for all of us. If you weren't Presbyterian, you'd yell amen. <laughs> this is amen to good. <laughs> if you were... Uh, Pentecostal, you'd take a lap around the sanctuary. But uh, generally, the only thing I do and the only emotion I express in worship is sometimes I'll raise my eyebrows. <laughs> this is just called, you know, fiat creation. It means that God, you know, created the world by his, his naked word. And it's just entirely different. And it's infinitely superior to anything that humans can do. And then he has his works of creation. He has his works of providence. And the works of providence means that um, it's the ordering of all things according to the secret counsel of God. Meaning that there are, there's a, a, a preceptive will of God, which is his written word. And so we can understand a lot about the will of God by his word. But there's a secret will of God. It's not going to be contradictory to his pre uh, uh, perceptive will. It's going to be in accordance with that. But there's a lot of little details that we will not know this side of heaven. You see, and right now we see the backside of a tapestry. And sometimes that doesn't even look like it makes sense. But on the other side of heaven, we're going to see something incredibly beautiful that God has done and even is doing right now as we speak. And so this is God's providence where he is managing the world. He is given leadership. He is not a static God who watches and just watches. He watches and works and he works to his glory and our good. That should be great, great comfort. Proverbs 19, 21, uh, Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Uh, 
You know, a, another great theologian is Woody Allen, who says, you want to make God smile? Tell him your plans. Now, I don't agree with everything Woody Allen says. In fact, that may be the only thing I agree with him. But that is true. That we think we know everything. We think we know what God is doing. And we may speak as some kind of authoritative person. And the reality is, we don't know. God has not, you know, consulted us on the details of how he ought to do things. He does as he wants. And in Romans 8.28, you know this verse, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also uh, though he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. And that's a passage about, you know, foreknowledge, predestination, effectual calling, justification, glorification, everything God works in our hearts and lives, and it is for his good. And that means we can thank him, even in the midst of difficult times, even in the midst of hardships and suffering. Now, in verses 12 through 19, the psalmist talks about uh, the nation whose God is the Lord. And, and we, we grapple with that. And there's no doubt that when our nation was formed, that uh, the, the men and women who formed it had deep um, Christian values. Now, not all. And they did believe that we were sort of the new Israel. And Israel was God's chosen people, uh, not exclusively, at, but as a picture of what God is going to do spiritually, and that those who are all true believers are God's chosen people. But not everybody in Israel was of Israel. There were people in Israel who rebelled against God. You know, in the northern kingdom, they didn't have a godly king ever. In the southern kingdom, I think they had 20 kings, and only eight of them were godly men. So it wasn't always Israel was perfect, but they were God's people. So um, it is right to say that you know we were blessed in the early history because a large number of, of uh, its people really believed in God and saw him as Lord. Now, even though we are not particularly a Christian nature, a nation, and I do have great fear uh, for our country, but let's remember that God, God does remember and he blesses those who fear him, who follow him. Now, there's three ways where God works his providence in our lives. One, he, he watches over us. So the psalmist uses what we call anthropomorphic language in that we know that God is incorporeal. He doesn't have a body. And, and so how else are you going to say that God looks at us unless you, in, you know, poetically give him this idea that he has eyes? We know that God sees us. He sees everything. He is always watching over us. 
and uh, uh, but he's not static. He doesn't just watch, but he does see. Nothing is going to take him by surprise. Now, that ought to make a big, big difference in our lives. I've got a friend. I think I've told you all this story before. When he was in high school, he uh, had his girlfriend, whom he later married and is still married to today, and uh, they were eating dinner at his house, and uh, he was going to take her home and so the father took out the trash after dinner while um, my friend was kind of gathering things up to take his girlfriend home. And he thought it'd be funny, the dad, to hide in the back seat of the car. And so uh, I think there was a blanket or something back there. But he was able to kind of scooch down behind the seats on the floorboard in the back seat and... Uh, my friend and his girlfriend jumped in the car, and they didn't go straight home. Uh, and so they went and uh, played a little slap and tickle along the way. And uh, so then he drops his girlfriend off, and, and uh, then uh, he drives back home, and he's getting out of the car. The light comes on. And he looks as he's closing the door and he sees his dad was in the back seat. And, and he just goes, oh, no, I would have done things much differently than I did had I known my father was in the back seat. And then it was maybe a week or two, he said, before they could even make eye contact. And so now think about that. When you know that God is watching would it make a difference in your life? Yeah, it would with me. Um, I, I can't undo, you know, you can't unscramble eggs. But going forward, I am conscious, not that I'm moved by that force, but I want to have a life where um, no matter who sees me, it's honoring to God. Well, God watches over us. He sees everything. The next thing is he protects us. Now, who knows how many plans God has foiled where people were uh, meant to harm us or Satan meant to harm us. I love this passage in 2 Kings 6, 17, where Elisha and his servant are in this little town and they're being pursued by an army of people who want to kill them. And Elisha is just cool as could be. And his servant is a little more given to histrionics. And he looks at Elisha and goes, Why are you being so calm? Don't you see that army out there? And Elisha stops right there and he prays, Lord, would you open the eyes of this servant? And he tells his servant to go out the front door and look around. And as he does that, he looks around and he sees the army of God surrounding all the hillside with these chariots of fire. And he went back into the house and thought, we're okay. We're going to win this one. 
Now think about that in your life because that servant was no more important to God than you and me. And there are things that God is working that are unseen right now to protect you and me, our loved ones, even in the midst of the coronavirus, even in the midst of all the racial unrest, even in the midst of a presidential election, God is at work and we can trust him. Last, the thing that he does is he's preserving us. He tells us that he's going to deliver his people from death and he's going to keep them alive in famine. We can trust God going through the most difficult of times. This is a difficult time. You can't say that it's not. Probably everybody here has known someone who has had the coronavirus or known someone who has been damaged from one thing or another just in the last few months. But God is going to preserve his people. He's going to care for us. And let's face it, do you have other options? I don't. I don't have enough money where I could go buy an island and sit out there and just wait it all out. I couldn't do that anyway. But that's not going to happen. My hope is that God is who he says he is and that he loves me the way he says he loves me and that he's going to work in my life. And, and even at the worst, even if I, I you know, am stricken with the virus and die, What's the worst is that I spend eternity in the arms of a loving Heavenly Father. I take comfort in that. So, as we land the plane, the psalmist has to land the plane here before planes were invented. It says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And isn't that, isn't that really what we want? We want to put our hope in someone or something that is going to last, something that is going to bring about our good, someone who has all the power, all the wisdom, and is good and merciful and takes you and me right where we are, watches over us, protects us, cares for us, and ultimately brings us home to be with Him. There are so many rich promises in Scripture that tell us about that, even for us, for our children, for our family members that God loves the children of believers. God loves and sanctifies even our spouses through us. It's a mystery. It's part of that will of God that we do not see, but he tells us in his word that it is true. So if you're looking for hope today, and I am, I don't see anyone better than trusting, putting our hope 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has done everything for you and me so that we can delight in him, so we can put our trust in him. And no matter what comes our way, it's in him where we'll find our help and our hope and our peace. Amen. Let's stand now for our, uh, well, we're going to sing, well, let me, we're going to have our offering. So the offering plate is back there. And then let me pray, and we're going to sing uh, Marching to Zion, hymn number 392. Father, we thank you for your great love and grace. Again and again, you have blessed us, and thank you that you're watching over us, protecting us, and caring for us even now. We thank you for all those things. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Hymn 392.
good to be with y'all. It's always a pleasure. And now, receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and in the life to come. Amen.